Let's just bow our heads a moment. Gracious God, as again we come to your word, we acknowledge it is your of the word, the very word of God, infallible, inerrant. We bless you for it. We pray to bless it to our hearts and minds and lives now for Jesus' sake, to your glory, to your praise, and for our good. Amen. If you have a Bible and you want to turn to it, and as I said, the page number for the pew, for the Bible is... 275. A little quick recap. Um, on Sunday mornings when I've been here, we're going through 1 Samuel. And the last time we were here was the first Sunday of the new year. Um, and we'd arrived at 1 Samuel chapter 9. And I said then that it was it I felt, and I still believe, obviously, it was very providential that we arrived on that chapter, because I wanted to illustrate the great truth of the providence of God. And our text was from Psalm 31, my times are in your hands. And the Lord, I trust, blessed that to us. My times, his hands. His hands, my times. So important in every day. Uh, every day, we're in the hands of God. And thank you. Thankful for that. And so what we did very simply was went going through one Samuel uh, chapter nine as illustrations of the providence of God, uh, his background, Saul's background. We introduced to Saul his background and uh, the donkeys that went missing. And, uh, you think you know God's providence is some wonderful and big and big things, and yet in the providence of God it was the donkeys that were lost that brought uh, Saul. To Samuel eventually. So we, we thought a bit about that. And remember the, the overarching truth of one Samuel is uh, the search for a king, right? It's the king. And the people of Israel wanted a king, like the nations. Now, wanting a king wasn't bad in and of itself. Uh, Deuteronomy speaks about uh, the day if Israel should have a king and what he should be like. But the, tr the trouble was that the Israelites wanted a king of their own making, in a worldly sense, to be, as they often said, like the other nations. But God's king was a man that should be after his own heart and a king that would meditate in the scriptures and teach the people the things of God. He'd be a spiritual king rather than a military kind of thing. And so that, that's the theme going through. And we shall see here uh, later on, if the Lord spares us, that there will be a king, Saul, but he will be a failure. And then God's king, King David, but, you know, even he, as great as he was, he failed. And this is all pointing to the great king, the son of David, the greatest son of great David, the Lord Jesus Christ, king of kings, lord of lords, who does not fail, who has no flaws, who is pure and perfect the king of his people. So that's the kind of theme running through. Now, uh, this morning I want us to go on from verse 11. And uh, bear in mind, this is not an historical lecture. We're looking for things that will help us in our Christian lives, or help us to understand a bit more about God and the gospel, and so on. So we're applying the things. Uh, we want to, God's word must speak to us. We don't just want to come and hear it, read and proclaimed and go out and no change and nothing happens tomorrow and the rest of the week uh, as, as, a, as a, uh, a 
after having heard God's word. That's not right. What we hear on Sunday should bless us and deal, and God should deal with us through that. Okay. So verse 15, and they went up to the hill. This is Saul and his, and his servant. Um, um, sorry, verse 15. Now the Lord told Samuel in his year, the day before Saul came. Now it's a funny expression. You know, the Lord told Samuel in his year. Well, you know, when somebody speaks, that's normally the receptacle where we get the message in our ears. So he could have just said, and the Lord told Samuel. But in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God wants us to know, the Holy Spirit wants us to know that the Lord told Samuel in his year. You think, why? Well, if you remember, this listening, this ear, all right, is an important uh, theme throughout the whole of Samuel. Uh, in fact, you remember how it started. In, now, forgive me, you, some of you know all this off by heart, but let me just remind you of this for some perhaps not so well familiar. It starts off with a woman who is barren, Bible language, who has no children, who cries unto the Lord. And he beseeches the Lord, Lord, hear me. Lord, hear my prayer. And the Lord hears her prayer. And she calls her little boy, Samuel, heard of God. So then, right in the very first chapter, and you remember that this little boy, he, he, he's brought up in the temple, and God speaks to him. And uh, he thinks it's um, Eli. Uh, and, and so he says, Eli, what, what, what do you want? He says, no, it's not me, it's God. So when the next time you hear his voice, say, Lord, speak for your servant, hears, hears. So this little hearing, right, this little hearing goes run through. And um, God willing, if we come to it eventually, um, when Saul is disobedient, right, and instead of killing the, the, the cattle and so on, or, or the, um, he keeps them for a sacrifice, the cattle and the sheep. And there's this famous phrase where Samuel goes up and he says, what's this sound of bleating in my ears? Like in this bleating, there shouldn't be any bleating. There shouldn't be any sheep. There shouldn't be any cattle. They should be put to death according to the word of God. You heard me say. This is what God says. But you've heard it with your ears. But you didn't obey it. Now I can hear your disobedience. So this little thing comes through, you know. And, and it's so important, isn't it, that we hear the word of God. We'll come back to that in a moment. We hear what God is saying to us. God would speak to you this morning through me, through the word of God. And God has got something to say to you. And it's important. Anyway, so that's the little phrase there, right? It's important. The Lord told someone in his ear, what did he tell him? The day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send the man out to Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain um, and obviously king over my people Israel. And he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines, for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come unto me. Now, a few little things here. Firstly, the action of God. I will send thee. All right? I will send thee. 
thee. And he will save. I will send, he will save. Then God says, I have heard my people cry. You see, there's two sides here, isn't it? It's the action of God and the action of men. I will send him, he will save. I have looked, people have cried. And uh, we often mention here in Gordon Road because we believe it with all our hearts, the absolute sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. If God is not sovereign, he's not God, full stop. And there's a whole theology behind that. But we also stress man's responsibility. God has made us people who are responsible and accountable. Now, for some folk, that's a big problem. How can God be sovereign and man be responsible? Well, that's God's problem. It's not your problem. It's not my problem. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says we shall be called to account. That's what the Bible says. And if it's difficult for you, it's your problem, really. Believe what the Bible says. God is sovereign. And yet we are responsible for our actions. And we will be held responsible in that great day. And the other thing is, God is sovereign, but he uses means. We, 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 this is the, the glory of our God. He didn't have to. He doesn't need to. But he does. So we remember, we looked at uh, uh, the thought about well, God doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. Remember dealing with 2 Corinthians 5. God doesn't need any one of us. You know, some people say, oh, God, God has no hands, but our hands, God has no feet. But obviously God doesn't need That's nonsense. God could do without us, but he chooses not to. He chooses to have his people to be ambassadors for him. He chooses. He doesn't choose angels to preach. Perhaps they make a better job. Perhaps they wouldn't. He doesn't use angels to preach. He uses ordinary men like Gary and me to preach, to tell you the truth. That's what God does. He uses means. And God, in this chapter, uses donkeys to bring Saul to Samuel. Lost donkeys. It's amazing. So here God uses means, and the means he will use will be Saul. He will be the means he will use to deliver his people from the Philistines. I think we need to grasp this, you know. It's it, 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 it's very complicated. It's not really. We need to believe in what I've called the height of the almightiness of God. That's good, isn't it? The height of the almightiness of God. And the depths of his condescension to people like you and me. I love that. I love that. When you have some great person, I've done many great persons back in the course. I've done many great persons, but when a really truly great person does something very kindly to some ordinary little person, I think, yeah, I like that. Sometimes it, sometimes you have that personality, sports or whatever, and and uh, there was, there's a little thing, I'm not going to talk about rugby, <coughs> definitely not going to talk about rugby, but there was a nice little touch <coughs> where yesterday the captain of, of one of the teams pushed a little pushchair out with a little lad in it who's got brain damage. He just pushed him out onto the pitch. And so it was just so wonderful. Now, some say, oh, well, that's stayed managed. But you know, he didn't have to do it, this captain, but he did. I don't know, that's, that's kind it's nice when somebody who's big does something for who's little. 
remember that. Okay, so there they are. They meet, all right? Um, verse 17, and when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, Behold, the man whom I have spoken to thee of, this man will reign over my people. Here he is. God speaks to him. In those days, God obviously spoke visibly, verbally to, to his prophet, and he said, That's the man. No mistake, that's the one in front of you. Then Saul drew near to Samuel. Of course, Samuel, Saul doesn't know who Samuel is. I pray thee, where is the seer? Where is the prophet's house? And Samuel said, I'm the prophet. Go up before me at a high place. You shall eat with me today and tomorrow, and I'll then let go and tell you all that is in my heart. As for the donkeys, you lost. Don't worry about it. They've been found. And then he says, And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee and all thy father's house? Now, here's this man, Saul, and wow, this prophet is saying the desire of all Israel is upon you. You are the man. You are the one. And he's just, dare I say, gobsmacked, as we would say. He's just, what? He can't understand this. And then the response is, is, is very Gracious of Saul. Now, Saul is a problem. Saul is a problem in the sense of the things that are said about him before and after. And we'll try and deal with those honestly, all right? But there are difficulties and problems with Saul and his character and so on. Anyway, we'll come to those eventually. But let's take it as it is at the moment. So Saul answers and says, Am I not, am I not a Benjaminite? of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? He says, now oh, hang about. Are you sure you've got the right bloke here? Are you sure? Because I belong to a little tribe, which is the smallest tribe, Benjamin. They're very insignificant. I belong to them. And my father's house is the least in that little tribe. And I am the least in the little tribe. I am nobody. I am nobody. Well, God often does things through nobodies. People who are weak and frail and haven't got much of this world, either in possessions or education or position or all kinds of things, all right? Um, God often does that. And thank God he does, because it means there's hope for you and me. Yes. You, such as you, such as me. If you're the, I've got to be careful of my words, if you, if you consider yourself to be the least in Gordon Road, who but knows that God may use you more than all the rest of us? Wouldn't that be wonderful? You can say, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll accept for that. God does this. Why does God use the weakest when he could use the best? Well, it's a very simple answer. He does it for his own glory. He does it for his own praise. Because the trouble is... If God only used the best, 
the, the cleverest, uh, the wisest, the most intellectual, educated person, they could say, well, see what I've done for the Lord because I am who I am. I'm so clever, I'm so educated, I'm so posh, I wasn't born in the dicker, right? I'm the man. A woman? Pride and boasting. God will have none of that. And that's why the people he chooses are often at the lowest and the lowest of the lowest. Not always, but often. And so I quote it often tonight to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul is discussing the wisdom of the world. And he says, you know, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. If God was foolish, even in his foolishness, he would be wiser than the wisdom of men. Not that God is foolish. Right? For you see a calling, brethren, that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And listen to this. And base things of the world and things which are despised has God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. And here's the answer and here's the reason. That no flesh should glory in his presence. And God does that. And it's an encouragement to us. Now, I have to say, because the Bible says, not everybody is the lowest of the low. And later on in the New Testament, you will find the Apostle Paul give an account of his life. All right, and uh, he gives a CV, as it were, um, be- only only because other people are boasting. Right, they're boasting of their heritage, they're boasting of their education, they're boasting of this and the other. He said, "Well, you know," he said, "if I wanted to boast, I could." Let me tell you. Let me tell you a bit about myself. I was circumcised the eighth day, strictly according to the law. All right, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Same tribe as Saul. But here is a man who succeeded. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness of the law, blameless. I was the man, probably one of the most educated men in New Testament days. He'd been to the universities, uh, as they were, uh, Gamaliel and others. He knew the law, he knew Greek and and. Roman, uh, linguistically, he was brilliant, a brilliant mind. And yet he says, what things were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Here's a man who was at his height, of his abilities, and God humbles him to make him useful in the kingdom of God. And there have been great men and women who God has taken hold of and squeezed the pride out of them and then filled them with his spirit and used them to his great honor and glory. Some of you know I was in Wales last week and uh, I was up in the valleys and I never forget uh, a man who was a miner, Ill- illiterate, could read and write, um, not a very pleasant gentleman. 
and the Lord saved him, wonderfully saved him. He taught himself to read and write from the Bible. He went to a little Bible college in Ronda, became the pastor of a church in Bridgend, and uh, the Lord used him mightily. And when Stuart Olliot wrote a little booklet on Romans, uh, expounding Romans, he dedicated to the Reverend Howard Griffiths, the man of whom I speak. God can use whatever he wishes to. Don't you want to be used? I think if a Christian doesn't want to be used, I think there's something wrong with them. And the trouble is, they say, well, Colin, I'd, I'd like to be used, but to be honest, I don't know what I could do. I don't know what I could do for the Lord. I haven't got all these bits of these qualifications. And, things, and I, 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 I honestly don't know. I would like to. Dear, dear, dear one, if you want to work to do something for Jesus, he'll find you a job. I've got no doubt about it. He'll find you a job. He'll find you a work, whatever that work may be. He'll find you something to do. There's no one that should be unemployed in the kingdom of God. May not all be preachers, stand up here, just as well, there'll be nobody to preach to, all right? You may not be doing any big things, but if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life from before the foundation of the world, God has a little task for you that only you can do. Well, let's move on then. So, this is what Saul says. And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought him into the parlor, made him sit in the chief place among them that were bidden. Now, interesting, isn't it? That here is this chap who says, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nobody in my family. And Samuel doesn't argue with him. He just brings him into the place and gives him the top seat. He's in the top seat. He's in the top seat with Samuel. And uh, there are about 30 people there. And then he says to the cook, why are we talking about dinner? Ah, lamb dinner. Do you like lamb dinner? I like lamb dinner. The mint sauce. Now, this is what they're going to have for dinner. And Samuel says to the cook, that bit, that bit, a special bit that I told you to put aside, we'll bring it out now because that person for whom it was put aside is here. And do you know what they had for dinner? Roast lamb, shoulder of lamb. You say, you make it up. No, I'm not making it up. It's in the Bible. It must be true. Shoulder of lamb. Wow. All right. The best bit. Bring the portion which I give thee, of which I said, sent you. And so the cook took up the shoulder, and that which was upon it, and brought before Saul. And Samuel said, Behold that which is left, set it before thee, and eat, and so on. Wow. God exalts those who are humble. He gives grace to the humble and sets aside the proud. That's a biblical principle. Well, they have the meal and so on, and then um, they, they go to, to go away, and Saul, uh, Samuel says, oh, hang on about now, we'll have a little chat. And he hasn't told me at this time what's going to happen. We have to wait till chapter 10 for that. But the, the one thing I want to just stress is the last verse of this. As we're going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, put Bid the servant go on before you, and he passed on, and stand here a while, that I may show you the word of God. 
It's the last phrase in this chapter. Samuel has a message for Saul that's going to blow his mind. He's going to say to this man who regards himself as, as the least of the least that he is going to be king. That's God's appointment, and he will anoint him. And so, and all will all happen in chapter ten. All right. But this is the thing I want to emphasize. Samuel is going to bring him the word of God. My responsibility, and every preacher that comes into this place, our responsibility is to bring to you the word of God. Not my views or my opinions or my thoughts. All right? they're, unless they're based on the word of God, they are worse and worse and useless. This is God's word. We need to hear what God is saying. We need to say, Lord, speak to me, thy servant hears. We need to take Samuel's words and we say, Lord, I want to know your word. I want to know what you're saying. And if you don't know what God's word says, how do you know what to do? How do you know how to please him? Gary has often mentioned as he goes through the Psalms about meditating on the word of God. And that's one of the things I've already mentioned that um, God said to Moses in Deuteronomy with the king, when you appoint a king, if you appoint a king, then he shall meditate in the law of the Lord. He needs to know what God's word says in order to rule the people properly. It's not that he shouldn't be involved in battles, uh, uh, physical battles and so forth, and leading the people. It's not that he shouldn't do that, but his, his, his prime purpose is to have biblical principles and biblical teaching. They need to know what God says. They need to hear what God's word is. And you and I need to know what does the Bible say? What does it expect of me? And if we don't read it, how do you know? How do you know what the will of the Lord is? Read your Bible. It, this is this is um, this is basic. I'm not saying anything you don't know. You say, "Well, I've heard that before." Well, good. Are you doing anything about it? Oh well, we need to hear God's word. We're not good listeners, and we're not good doers. James talks to me about a man, you know, who meditates God's word, God's word, and then he goes out and he forgets all about it. Like a man looking in the mirror and he's forgotten. We need to be hearers and doers. Of God's word. We need to read the Bible daily. And we need to say, Lord, what are you saying to me? Now, some things are difficult. But there are some things that are very simple. The things that Saul will hear will blow his mind, as I've said, because he's going to be anointed to be king over Israel. But we are not going to have that word. But we need to know that God has made us kings and priests. That's a phrase that God uses about us. Every child of his, in a sense, where it comes, a king, or a prince, if you like. Royalty. There's royalty. We are royal. We belong to the royal family. You know what the preacher said to me? This is tomorrow. You know what the preacher said to me yesterday, or said to us, he said, we are royalty. Oh, you are not royalty. You come from wherever you come from. Ah, spiritual royalty. Spiritual royalty. 
I belong to the royal family, as in the Lord of God Almighty, Lord of God, King of kings and lords of lords. I belong to the royal family. Huh? Well, you don't live like a royal person. Don't boast about your being in Christ if your life doesn't show it. Because there are people out there, some you live with, some you live by, some you work with, they will know you. And they will say, uh, he talks about uh, what, how wonderful the chapel is and all that, but I don't see it in his life day by day. I don't see it in her life day by day. Working it out in a practical way. Now, it won't be the same for us as it was for Saul. I've said that. But the principle is that hearing God's word and putting it into practice. I've told you sometimes, I think, of a lady who did, used to do a lot for, in the churches, the church I was at. And uh, she served the Lord. And her service was picking up people and taking them to church. All right? Uh, and she loved it. She had a little beetle car, and she'd go down, and at ladies' meeting, she'd pick up this one, that one, that one, and she'd take them to church, and she'd take them home. She, that was her service for the Lord, giving people lifts. It's wonderful. And then her sight went, and she couldn't drive anymore, and she was devastated. Because her service for the Lord, which was... Giving people lifts. Gone. And I said something to her. Well, two things I said. One was, now you've got to let other people give you a lift. I know, but I don't like it. I said, well, try and see this in, in God's purposes, in God's wisdom. You can serve him by letting other people give you a lift, thereby you are letting them do a service for him. And that was a bit complicated, I think. I hope you can see it, right? In other words, serving the Lord doesn't necessarily mean I am doing something actively. Serving the Lord sometimes can be let other people serve you and wait upon you, and you be grateful, and you be thankful, and you say, thank you so much for this. They feel good, and why shouldn't they? So there's a little, and the other thing, just to end, the, end that little story, and again, I've told, I've told you several times, but it's, I think it's appropriate in its context. So she couldn't do anything, but she did have a phone, and she had very large numbers of the phone. It's about this size, you know, old-fashioned phone, and she could press one, two, three. And I said, can you use the phone? She, because of her eyes, I said, oh, yeah, I can. I've got a big phone. I said, can you do me a favor? She said, yeah. Can you ring... Peggy up every week and ask how she is. You know I can do that. I said, do that. And then when you have, ring me and tell me how she is. You might say, well, that's a bit lazy of you. No, you can do it yourself. Of course I could. I could use a normal phone. I could say, oh, Peggy, are you all right? Yeah, it's past the year. But no. So she could do something she could do. So she did it every week. Well, Peggy, how are you, Peggy? Then she'd ring me. I said, thank you. And when Gladys died, Peggy said to me at the funeral, you know, Gladys was very good to me. I said, how was that? She used to ring me up every single week and ask me how I was. Wasn't that kind of her? I said, yes, it was. Now, are you seeing this? There is something you can do. You may never be the king of Israel. 
You need be, be never the queen of creation. But there's something you can do for Jesus. Find out what it is. Do something. Pray for somebody. Is that hard? Yes, it is. To pray consistently every single week. Pray for the work in Sri Lanka. Pray uh, for Hailsham. Pray for Sussex. Pray for individuals. Pray for the government. Oh, we're in such a terrible state. Pray for people. You can do that. Pray. Seek the Lord. Call upon his name. I'm going to finish in a minute. My times, his hands. His hands, my times. Saul has been brought into a position by the providence of God, and it's just going to be amazing to him. And there can be all kinds of things which come on later on. You are never going to be Saul, but you can be a humble servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can remember him who humbled himself. Don't we love that passage in Philippians? I'm going to turn to it, so I'll get it right. We love that passage in Philippians in the context of Christian unity. Um, but uh, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who been the form of God. Let's start there. Let's start in heaven. Let's start in eternity. Let's start before there was anything the world, the universe, the cosmos, when there was God. God. Father, <coughs> Son, Holy Spirit. God. In the form of God. And then from those heights, wow. So did not Robert to be equal with God? Made himself no reputation. Takes upon himself a form of servant. Being the likeness of man. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He went to death, the death of the cross. That's some fall, or perhaps better, that's some condescension from the highest to the lowest. Who is this person on the cross being tortured and suffering and bleeding and dying? Who is he? He is God in the flesh. God incarnate. That's astounding. That's absolutely astounding. From that height to that depth. This is our saviour. This is why we love him. This is why we want to serve him. He did all that for a wretch like me, for a wretch like you. Don't you want to serve him? Don't you want to do work for him? Don't you want to please him? May God help us so to do. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this account we've read of Samuel and Saul. And we long, Father, we long to be of service to you in the kingdom. We may not be the king. We not, may be in the posh places and the upper places. But there's something we can do in a small corner of the kingdom for King Jesus. Oh, please, bless us and do us good. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Let's sing a hymn. 588 is the last time.